I was listening to a podcast this week, um, and the person who was leading the podcast said something that really stood out to me. They said that words by themselves don't have any meaning, right? It's actually like a word by itself doesn't actually mean anything. It's us that come to come to the word and actually give the word meaning. So he, he was pointing out that if somebody was really uh, like a good communicator, somebody who can speak well, it's usually not because they have a great vocabulary. It's because they understand what the audience, what the people listening to them un like understand the words are. So they, they were going to use specific words because they know what the meaning that people get when they hear that word. And what that means is that words can actually be very powerful because we bring the meaning to them. And I mean, the Bible talks about the power of words all the time. In James 3, 5, we're warned about using our words in a negative light when it says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, right? Something so small in our bodies can cause such destruction. And while, yes, we can use our words to stir up trouble or tear people down, the Bible also tells us that the right word at the right moment can make all the difference. Proverbs 15.1 tells us a soft answer turns away wrath. And later in that same chapter, verse 4 tells us a gentle tongue is a tree of life. See, what the Bible is telling us about words is that what we say causes changes in the lives of those around us. What we say will cause a change in the people who hear us speak. An example of this, a very simple example to show this, is when we first moved to Cardiff, Wales, from the States, like this was the first time we ever lived in the UK, so we didn't know, like, where do we go to buy certain things? What restaurants should we go to? You know, we were, we were, we're fresh off the boat, as you could, you could say, fresh off the airplane. Uh, is more likely. Um, but anyways, right, we didn't know where to go. So the reason why we chose certain stores to go to, the reason why we went to certain restaurants or shops or whatever, is because the people we knew, the friends that we made there in Wales, told us, oh, if you need this, you should go here. Or if you want to try this, go here. Or try this coffee shop. It's really good, right? And when we moved from Cardiff over to here, like, it was a little bit easier because we already knew some of the name brands, right? We already knew what Asda's was. We knew what Sainsbury's was. We knew, like, oh, we should go to this store if we need this thing. But even moving here, there are places that we would have never tried, probably, if it wasn't for the fact that people here suggested, hey, you like this, you should try this place, right? Essentially, what people told us changed the way that we lived our lives. And... Right, so having this idea of that words are being very important, so when it's very important to me when I work out a sermon that I know what I'm going to say. Like, actually, I write out, I try to write out everything that I want to say. That way I can make sure the words that I'm choosing will be life-giving to those who listen. And I know that when you leave today, you're not going to remember every single word that I've said, and I don't expect you to. But I am hoping that, uh, come on in and find a seat anywhere. I am hoping that when you do leave today, that hopefully the words that I've said, the words that God has given me has caused a change, has hopefully shaped you to look more and more like Jesus. And the power of words is something that we're going to see today. The reason I bring this all up is because it's actually a very central point to the passage we're looking at. Now, 
We are still going through the book of Ruth. Um, specifically, we are right in the middle of Ruth chapter 2. Um, it's verses uh, 8 through 14 is what we're going to cover. And I'm actually, because I told Liz that I would actually read it, I'm going to read it right now um, so that that gives you a chance. If you have a Bible, it's, whether it's an app, a book, whatever, hopefully you can turn with me to Ruth right now, specifically Ruth t- chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 8. Verse 8, it says this, So Boaz went over to Ruth and told her, Listen, my daughter, stay and gather only in my field, and do not go into another. Stay close to my young women. Look only in the field that my young women are reaping in, gathering after them. I have commanded the young men not to touch you, but if you do get thirsty, go drink some of the water they have brought. And she fell down and bowed low before him, saying, Why do you treat me so well? I am not from here. And Boaz answered her, I have thoroughly heard about all the things that you have done for your mother-in-law after your husband died, how you left everything, your father, mother, and even your homeland to come to a place that you've never been to before. I pray that the Lord will repay you for all you have done and that he, the Lord God of Israel, will reward you greatly as you have come to seek him as your source of protection. And she replied, You have treated me so well by comforting me and speaking to me kindly, even though I am no one and not one of your servants. And and when it came time to eat, Boaz told her, Come over here and eat some bread by dipping it in the vinegar. So she came and sat with the reapers, and Boaz offered her some roasted grain to eat. She ate and was satisfied, and she even had some left over. Right, so real quick for you guys, as I get back to my notes. Um, I know that uh, last week was a special service here because of Remembrance Sunday, so I'm going to just give a quick, before we like talk through the passage we just read, I want to give a f- quick backstory to hopefully catch you back up to where we're at, remind you where we're at. So, right, we're studying the book of Ruth. Uh, Ruth takes place during the time of Judges. That's what we find out right at the beginning. Um, and apparently there's this family from Bethlehem. There's a famine going on, so they decide to go off and they go to the fields of Moab. And while there, the sons of the family get married, and then they die. And the husband dies. And it leaves just the mom and her two daughter-in-laws by themselves. Well, eventually they hear the famine's over, so they decide to come back to Bethlehem. But only the mother and one of the daughter-in-laws, Ruth, actually come back. So that's what happens in the, really quick, what happens in the first chapter. Second chapter, where, where we are at, uh, we find out that at the beginning, Ruth decides, hey... I'm going to go try to gather some food for us to eat because eating is important. Um, it's something you want to do in life. Um, so she decides, well, I'm going to go out to the fields and try to gather what I can. And Naomi says, go, and hopefully you can get something. And while she's out in the field, she ends up being out of field specifically owned by this guy named Boaz. And Boaz is coming out to see his workers doing their job in his field, and he notices this woman that's reaping there as well. And he asks, well, who is she? And uh, one of his, his young men, it says, tells him that that is Ruth, uh, the Moabite who has been gathering after us. And so that's where we get, right? That's, that's kind of the picture of then where we get to these verses. So with that said, last week, um, up at Stone, because I know it, not down here, but up at Stone, Wale uh, taught through that first passage. And there's something that I really like that he pulled out of that, which is 
he said that you can see this comparison of Ruth and Naomi at the beginning of chapter two, right? Naomi, at the end of chapter one, comes back really bitter, which is understandable. She has lost her husband. She has lost her sons. She feels like she has had everything taken away from her. And yet you have Ruth, who also has had pretty much everything taken away from her, but she says, well, I'm going to still go forward. I'm going to try to be faithful with what little I have. So she goes out and tries to do her best to gather and to serve her mother-in-law. And that brings us to our verses today. We have Ruth gathering for Naomi. We have Boaz, who has now noticed Ruth. Now, normally, when I teach through a passage, I like to teach I just start at the top verse first, and I just go verse by verse going down. That's the normal way I do it. But today, I'm going to do it a little bit differently. Because if you remember two weeks ago, when I gave kind of an introduction to Ruth, I talked about how Ruth 2 is, in it's the technical term is a, schiz, a schiasm, chasm? No, chasm, that's what it is, not a chasm. A chasm, where it basically the first part of the passage is mirrored by the second part. Think of it like a pyramid. Like if you're reading it, it like goes up to a point, and then it goes back down and it like connects if you look across those lines. And if that just confused you, everything I said, well, hold on. I think you'll kind of understand it by the end. So let's look at the first two verses, verses 8 and 9. It says, So Boaz went over to Ruth and told her, Listen, my daughter, stay close and gather only in my field and do not go into another. Stay close to my young women. Look only in the field that my young women are reaping and gathering after them. I have commanded the young men not to touch you, but if you do get thirsty, go drink some of the water they have brought. So this is the first time that Boaz and Ruth actually meet in the book of Ruth, right? This is their first meeting in this story. And what we see is Boaz is basically telling Ruth that he's going to provide for her and he's going to help keep her safe. He's providing for her by food and he's providing her by giving her safety. And notice Ruth never asked Boaz any of this right? Ruth actually didn't know he was, she was in his field to begin with. She basically went out just to try and provide for her mother-in-law, right? The picture of this for, to try to get an understanding of how this worked back then is that according to Leviticus 19, when you were, had your harvest field, in this case it's a bunch of barley, and you send your workers out to go gather the barley, Leviticus tells us that you're not supposed to gather the very edges and then as you're going through, you know, you start at one end and you go to the other end. Anything you miss, you just leave. And that, all that's left over is so that the poor can come in and they can have some food for themselves. So that's what Ruth's doing, right? She has heard of this, maybe through Naomi, that there's this chance that she could gather some leftovers after the reapers have gone through the field. But here's the thing. We need to always remember when we're reading the story, this is taking place during the time of Judges. And the reason that is important is that during the time of Judges, basically nobody in Israel followed the law. So as a reader, our expectation is that Ruth should be having a very hard time just even getting a little bit to provide for her and her mother-in-law. Like, and in fact, Ruth is actually taking a big risk because she's going out there, she's very vulnerable, she could easily have been taken advantage of in the fields while she is out there by herself. So when Boaz comes in and does what he's doing, it actually should break our expectations a little bit. And in fact, we should see that he is actually going above and beyond. He is following the law. He's telling his uh, reapers, you know, allow the, allow the edges to be not gathered, you know, leave stuff so that Ruth can gather it. 
But he's also being generous because he's providing so much more than just what that base need. And really what we see is that Boaz does this because he's faithful to the Lord. Because being faithful to God means that you're going to love other people. But notice that even with his faithfulness, even with him providing for her, there's a little bit of a distance between the two. Um, What I mean is that Boaz is telling her to go gather with his young women. Boaz does say you can come get some water, but Boaz isn't just like straight up just giving her barley. Boaz is basically giving her room for her to work. There's still a distance between her and him. He's saying, I'm going to provide a safe space for you so that you can do the work that you're trying to do. And so, like I said before, the idea is that of this passage is that it's mirrored from the beginning to the end. So since these were the first two verses of our passage, we need to look at the last verse of our passage, which is verse 14. Verse 14 says this, When it was time to eat, Boaz told her, Come over here and eat some bread by dipping it in the vinegar. So she came and sat with the reapers, and Boaz offered her some roasted grain to eat. She ate and was satisfied. She even had some left over. So right there is, these verses are very similar in that you have Boaz is coming to Ruth. You have Boaz telling Ruth how he's going to provide for her both food and safety. But there's a big difference, right, between the provision before and the provision after. Right, the provision before that we read was, I'm going to create a space. You're going to go work and provide for yourself. Now this provision is, hey, come, come be in my inner circle in a way. Come be among my workers and eat food, and I'm going to give you food directly. There is an intimacy there that wasn't there before. Something has changed between these two sets of verses. So keep that in your, your mind as we jump back to verse 10. So verse 10 says this, And she fell down and bowed low before him, saying, Why do you treat me so well? I am not from here. So Boaz offers his protection, right? And Ruth just doesn't understand why he would do this. Because again, there's a detail about Ruth that gets hammered into us when we read through the book of Ruth. And even here, she mentions it. She says, I'm not from here. I am a foreigner, right? That idea that Ruth is not from Bethlehem gets told us over and over and over again that she is from Moab. In fact, every time you see Ruth mentioned or or she talks about herself, that's what happens. That fact is somehow squeezed into that verse somewhere. And what we see is that that there's some kind of, there's a distinct separation between Moab and Bethlehem. Specifically, there's a distinction between the fields of Moab and the fields of Bethlehem. Because in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, During the time period of Judges, there was a famine. A man from Bethlehem, the house of bread, and Judah left to go live in the fields of Moab with his wife and their two sons, right? It's very specific to tell us that they didn't just go to Moab, they went to the fields of Moab. And when you read through chapter one, it's in the fields of Moab where the husband dies. It's in the fields of Moab where the sons die. It's in the fields of Moab where Naomi just becomes so bitter about what has been taken from her. And yet in chapter 2 now, we have Ruth who has left the fields of Moab and is now looking in the fields of Bethlehem. And here, she's finding life, she's finding protection, and it's all because of the faithfulness of Boaz. Which, when you put yourself in her shoes, you can understand why her reaction is, why are you doing this? Like, why would you do this for me? Because she is a foreigner, 
She is from a land, not just any foreigner, but she is from a specific land that doesn't have a good relationship with the land she's in now, right? Moab and Israel don't get along very much in the Bible. And not only that, this is again the time of the judges. This is a time where it says over and over again that people did whatever was right in their own eyes. She should be expecting, and she probably did, to expect to enter into a very hostile environment where she was going to just have to try her best to take care of herself and her mother-in-law. As some of you know, I serve on a part. Uh, I serve part-time on a ministry called How Will They Hear, and How Will They Hear is like this network where we help. Uh, other ministries that are serving with refugees all throughout Europe. And so because of this, I get to hear about some different things that are going on with refugees around Europe. And there's, unfortunately, there's a common theme that you hear, and that is that governments of different countries really try their best to keep refugees out or isolated in their country. Even the UK doesn't always have the best track record when it comes to this issue. And often, because of this, because refugees naturally just get so much resistance from coming, from fleeing from their homes and coming into Europe, that these ministries, the reason why they can be so effective, the reason why refugees are willing to open up to them, is just because those, the people serving there just show them love. It's just because they treat them like humans. And because of that, they're so willing to hear the message of God. So you can imagine, right, all the junk that Ruth is probably having to deal with, the, probably all the stuff she might have already faced before she met Boaz. She probably already has ha- had to deal with some kind of persecution. She probably has already had to deal with people looking down on her. And then you have this man, Boaz, who's like, hey, I'm going to take care of you. And just like how verses 8 and 9 were paired with verse 14, verse 10 is paired with verse 13, which says, And she replied, you have treated me so well by comforting me and speaking to me kindly, even though I am, not, I am no one and not one of your servants. Again, Ruth, he, she's talking to Boaz, and she's talking about how, like, how I can't believe you treated me so kindly, but there's a big difference now. Um, before, she, kept, she made sure to say, why are you treating me so well? I am not from here. I'm a foreigner. Here, this time, she's like, you're treating me so well, even though I am no one. And while that might not seem like a big difference, it actually, when you think about it, that is a huge difference because I am not from here and I am no one. I'm not from here means I'm outside the circle. I am no one means that I'm in the circle, but I'm not important. Ruth, through something that has happened between these set of verses, has now changed almost the perspective on her, of herself. She's no longer referring to herself as a foreigner, but now she's is still being humble, but she's now associating herself with the group. So what's this change, right? What's the change that has caused the difference between, you know, the first set of verses and the last verse, and then verse 10 and verse 13? Well, it all is verses 11 and 12, which is the middle of chapter 2. And those verses say, And Boaz answered her, I have thoroughly heard about all the things you have done for your mother-in-law after your husband died how you left everything, your father, mother, and even your homeland to come to a place you have never been to before. I pray that the Lord will repay you for all you have done and that he, the Lord God of Israel, will reward you greatly as you have come to seek him as your source of protection. 
the reason for all the changes we've seen, the reason how it's changed from them being distant to intimate, from being an outsider to being associated with, all comes from Boaz's words. It's not some kind of amazing, miraculous thing that's happened. It's because of what he said. Yet, we know, right, let's look at what he said, right? He says, first, I have thoroughly heard of everything that you've done, yet we know that Ruth hasn't gone around and told everybody what she's done. In fact, what we know from this, from him saying that, is that her reputation has gone in front of her. The things that she has done has been the talk of the town. Her faithfulness is shown in her actions. She didn't need to tell people that she loved Naomi. She didn't need to tell people that she would do anything for her mother-in-law because she already did everything for her mother-in-law. In California, one of the most popular fast food chains is called In-N-Out. And if you ever get to California, you have to go try In-N-Out. Um, but In-N-Out is so popular that even if you've lived a, like hundreds of miles away from the closest one, you've probably heard of it if you live in the States. And what's unique about this when you think about it is that In-N-Out barely spends any money on marketing. Like, like in the States... Like, you could be in California, you could be surrounded by In-N-Outs, but you probably aren't going to see an In-N-Out commercial. You're probably not going to see an In-N-Out ad. Uh, you might see a billboard when you're driving down the motorway, but, like, very, very, very little marketing, yet they're so popular because they make good food, right? They're good at what they do, and because they're good at what they do, because their actions speak for itself, People go and share about them with their friends, and, then, and they become one of the most popular food chains there. Often a trap we fall into is that we feel like we have to tell people about what we've done. We need to let people know that we actually have done things, right? We want to make sure that people know that we are successful or generous or kind. But how much better is it when people know those things about us and we don't have to say a word? When people already know our character and we haven't had to tell them a single thing. Because what we see Ruth has done is Ruth has put her money where her mouth is. She has left everything to come back with Naomi. So how much are we willing to sacrifice for the show people love? And notice that it isn't just faithfulness to Naomi, but her faithfulness to God that makes Boaz take notice. Now it could be easy, right? If I was, try I was trying to think of like, you know, what could a an example be of this? And it's easy to be like, well, you know, Rachel and I are missionaries, or maybe I can pick another missionary as an example of, you know, leaving everything and going somewhere else. But there's a big difference between us and Ruth, and that's the fact that when Ruth leaves Moab to come to Israel, she also has to choose to leave the God that she did follow and choose the true God to follow, right? When we came to the UK, we were already Christians, you know? You know, it's not, it'd be weird for mission agencies to try to recruit missionaries who aren't saved and be like, hey, you're going to go share the gospel somewhere. I hope you get saved along the way when you get by the time you get there, right? Ruth was willing not just to leave her family behind, but she was willing to follow the God that Naomi followed as well. In fact, her faithfulness to now just come to the fields showed that she trusted in God. Because remember, it's because of God's command that there would be anything for her to gather. 
Ruth the Moabite's actions showed that she loved her mother-in-law and trusted God more than she cared about having the Moabite being tied to her name. And the catalyst that really helped show this change, the thing that really helped her accept this new identity as a follower of Yahweh, as somebody who has moved away from Moab and is now living in Israel, is the words that Boaz shared with her. Because the truth is, Boaz's message, while simple, his words had great meaning in them. His words, which came from a heart of faithfulness to God, caused a change in Ruth's life forever. So what? Why study all this? Well, our words can be very powerful, right? It can be very powerful to either build somebody up or tear somebody down, which means we have to be careful with how we speak, even if we're just trying to be helpful. Now, I know, I don't know if anybody else has this experience, but there's often times where my wife, Rachel, will need me, she's frustrated at something, and she just needs me to listen. But me being me, I decide, well, I'm going to try to fix it for her, and I'm going to, you know, give suggestions while she's trying to tell me what she's frustrated at. And while my intention is really good, right, I'm trying to build her up with my words, it often has the opposite of effect, right? It usually doesn't help the situation. Because even though I think the meaning behind my words are positive, I'm not thinking about what she thinks the meaning of my words are. So Rachel actually just came back from Greece. She was there at a women's conference. And while there, they did this thing where they had people share. And while they shared, they told people, you cannot, you're not allowed to fix them, right? You're not, the only thing that you can do in, is to encourage them that you found something beautiful in what that person shared. And that's, that might sound confusing, so let me give an example of that. It could be that somebody was sharing about how they were hurting because of different circumstances in their life, and instead of saying, well, here's a Bible verse, or, you know, God's got you, or any of those things, you would share something like, hey, this thing that you said, even though it sounds negative, to me, shows that you have a very deep faith in God, and that's a beautiful thing, right? It's a, isn't that just a wonderful thought, right? We're not fixing the person. Instead of fixing the person, we're pointing out the beauty of God in their lives. And the thing is, that's exactly what Boaz did here, right? Boaz didn't say, well, you're not a foreigner anymore, or, you know, don't worry, God told me to love the foreigner, or anything like that. He basically said, Ruth, here's the beautiful things that you've done in your life. He pointed it out, her faithfulness, not because he was trying to fix the situation, but just showing that God was active and how beautiful that was. Now, I've gotten to know most of you here in the room and online, and uh, I know that I've heard of a lot of your faithfulness over the last you know, year or so that I've been here. And I just want to tell you guys that your faithfulness, like some of you guys who have come faithfully since we've started reopening, like that's a beautiful thing. Your actions, even though they're simple, even though they might not seem like a big thing, just to me shows how faithful you guys have been to our Lord. And so today, the words that I'm sharing, I hope has caused a change in your life. And in fact, I hope that you will go and share with someone today something beautiful about their lives. Because, in fact, if we become a people who, when we look at other people's life and can share that their God is working in their life and share the beauty of that, 
ultimately what we're doing is we're just pointing people to the ultimate good news, which is the gospel. What we're doing is we're showing that we're bringing them to the ultimate beauty, which is our creator, because Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are the ultimate forms of beauty. So is there someone that you can encourage today? And how will this message cause you to change? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the fact that you, that you are faithful to us. God, thank you that, thank you that you give us the ability to just even speak and share with each other, that we can communicate with each other, that we can share our hurts and our struggles, but we can also just share encouragement with one another. And God, I pray today as we leave today that that's what we will do. That to the people that we encounter, whether it be today, throughout our, the week, throughout the rest of our lives, that when we encounter people, whether it's people we know, friends or family, that we will be people that will point out beauty in their lives. That we will be people that will build people up with the words that we say. God, thank you so much for all that you've done for sending your son because without him coming, we would not be here today. We would not be able to know these truths and we would not be able to just enjoy this time with you. So God, thank you again for all that you've done and all that you will do. In your name, amen.